so this morning, um, we, do we have that video or do we, okay, okay, no problem, no problem. Uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the screen. Um, if you have a phone, you probably have a Bible on there or may have a Bible on there. But we're going to look at verses, starting verse 21 uh, this morning. And um, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to read through uh, the scripture we're going to talk about. Then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll chat about it for a, for a bit the, this morning. So um, this is what, what Jesus said, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp? to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whoever is, uh, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away. He, said, he also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel on the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, Because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. you pray with me? Father, we uh, thank you today for your Holy Spirit and for sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, so that we would not be alone, so that we'd have a counselor, so that we'd have a guide. Uh, Your Spirit will guide us into all truth, we're told in in the Word. And and we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do just that. I pray that my words would be your words, my heart would be your heart. I pray our hearts would be in tune with yours. And Father, that we could hear... um, truth today, and that it wouldn't just come in one ear and go out the other, but it would settle deep into our spirits and change us, so that as we leave here, we'd act differently, and we'd we'd talk differently, and we'd love differently, Father, so that you would be glorified, so that your kingdom would grow. Lord, we love you, and we give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today actually is Pentecost. I'm not sure if you know that or not. Um, and the, it's in the church calendar. I'm not sure this is like the actual day that Pentecost happened for the early church. Um, but Pentecost is this day where the Holy Spirit first kind of came on the church. And in the Bible, it's, it talks about these tongues of fire that came down and rest on the apostles. And they spoke. Uh, and all the people heard what they were saying in, in their own language. Um, and we're actually going to... God put something else, this other text on my heart for today. So we're going to cover this day, and next week we're going to talk about Pentecost. Um, but today is the actual day, which is pretty pretty cool in the church calendar. Um, but today, the scripture that we're looking at in, in Mark chapter 4, um, it's as I guess as all scripture is, it's 
it's pretty powerful. And, I, and, and maybe it's because of my line of work or maybe possibly because of my upbringing. I'm not sure why exactly, but I seem to be more prone to believe, uh, maybe, maybe, I guess, as I've thought about it, maybe it's more because of the Holy Spirit and His work in my life, but I have always been burdened for the church in regard to proper stewardship of the undeserved blessings that we've received. We have, we have been given so much that we don't deserve. And I think the Bible, like, time and time and time again teaches us, God teaches us through His words that we are to be good stewards and we're to use them properly, not just for ourselves, but, but for others. Some of us don't like to think about our desperate state or our undeserved state. But the New Testament writers were clear in their understanding that we must correctly assess how unworthy we are of anything good. Paul reminded us of this in Romans 3 and he, when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Luke, in his Gospel, through the account of Peter, with whom I'm pretty sure we can all relate, reminds us of occasional sinful fear and corresponding denial of being associated with Christ when Peter denies Him three times. And Jesus, in Revelation 2, confronts the church at Ephesus with their brokenness when He reveals their sin by saying, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. We come from a place of sin, of unworth, of brokenness. And at times, after coming to know Christ, we fall back into that sin. The whole, I think the, the, the process is that we do it less and less and less, but we still, we still fall into it. And because of this, we are wholly unworthy of God's love and any blessing that He might give us. And that's precisely what makes His grace so incredibly amazing, right? I mean, the, the fact that Jesus demonstrated His love for us in this, Paul says, that while we were yet sinners, while we wanted nothing to do with God, while we were active he didn't say all this, I'm embellishing a little bit, but while we were actively rebelling against God, Christ died for us. That reveals the depths of His love for us, our lack of worth and our just like utter rebellion against Him, and still He comes after us. Still He loves us. Still He blesses us. We were transformed from enemies of God to children of God through Christ. I mean, think about that. Think about an enemy of yours. I don't know if you have enemies. Think about enemies of America. Think about people who want to hurt us, right? You know, we were attacked on 9/11, 2001, and um, think about how many people felt about terror, the terrorists who did that, right? And the Bible says we were enemies of God, not just like opponents in a in a sporting event, but we were literal enemies. And now, through His grace. We have been made children. And because, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, those of us who are in Christ are now new creations, the Bible says. 
We had the Holy Spirit indwelling us. That's what happened at Pentecost. And as, as a result, Jesus has told us that one of the blessings of the Holy Spirit is that he guides us into all truth, meaning that the Holy Spirit will equip us to know Christ intimately, to know about him with our minds, but also to know him relationally. The Holy Spirit guides us as we pursue Jesus. I grieve for those who have an experience with Christ, claim to be washed of their sin, and be going into eternity with Christ once this life comes to a close, but live the entirety of their lives here on earth only having a distant relationship with Jesus. Not realizing the hope that He can give. Not knowing the deep beauty of His forgiveness. Never seeing the limitless supply of forgiveness that He offers. Never enjoying the abiding presence of His Spirit knowing His comfort in times of trouble and fellowshipping with Him in times of joy. And possibly my greatest grief comes when one of my brothers or sisters experiences the unsurpassed joy of knowing the hope of new life through Jesus. Then we never share this hope, joy, peace, forgiveness, and power with anyone else. This shameful and pitiful state is where many who follow Jesus or find Jesus find themselves today. And um, it's this issue that Jesus takes kind of, this is what he takes issue with in, in these opening verses today. He said, he said to them in, in verse 21 of Mark 4, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear, Jesus says. You don't take a light and put it under something and, and silence the light or cover up the light. That, that's backwards. And then he goes on and he says in verse 22, Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more And then get this, whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. What you have been given in Christ is like a lamp. It's something that is meant to shine, to cast light into dark places. Not to be hidden. It's to be lived and shared. Make sure we hear this today, brothers and sisters. Christ, the good news, is given to you for your good, yes, but not only for your good. It's wrong, even sinful, to receive him and then stuff him under your bed or cover him with a bowl, not allowing him to affect your life or keep him to yourself and not allow him to impact others through you. Christ is given to you for your good and for you to share. And Jesus boldly, clearly, and unequivocally states that With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The blessings we received are meant to be given away. And he goes on and says, if they're not, whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away. Um, This isn't like 
we store it up so that we have a lot later in life and then we give it away. This is kind of like it comes in and it goes out. You don't use it, you lose it. It's kind of like a budget. I don't know, everybody, some of you are in business, right? You, have to, you go through budgeting every year. And if you have money at the end of the year in your budget, what do you do with that? Do you save it for next year? No. You spend every, amount, every penny you can in your budget. Because if you don't, that budget doesn't roll over to the next year. It's taken away. What we are given is meant to be used, not saved. And if we don't use it, what Jesus is saying is that it's taken away. Let that sink in for a moment. If you aren't using what you've been given, you lose it. If Jesus isn't changing every part of your life, if the kingdom isn't taking full root, if we are not sharing the hope that we have in Jesus with the world, it seems to be saying that He's going to take some things away. This goes with what Jesus said in Matthew 7.14 when He said, But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. Um, this is, by the way, this is like deadly serious. Like, and I don't mean that lightly. I was reading this week um, a book, and the author was saying how every person has a soul. Every person, every person has part of them that is going to live on after your body dies. There is only one of two places that every person's soul is going to live after we die. Us sharing or not sharing our faith, us being personally changed by Jesus, is literally deadly serious. Not just physically deadly serious here, but eternally deadly serious. And somehow, I just kind of like so much of my life, I'm not like preaching, I'm preaching to myself as well this morning. Like, I somehow live a lot of my life walking around worrying about things that don't matter. Or I, or I don't matter, or I don't take seriously enough things that do matter. And because of that, like, I think some of the blessing that God probably wants to give me, I'm keeping from receiving because I'm not as in tune with the Spirit as I need to be with the whole of my life. God's road is very narrow. Because of it, not many find the road we talked about a few weeks ago. The wide road is easy, so many people find that. That was like that two-lane road we were talking about, like Seinfeld episode. It's just easy to find, but don't think for a moment that we can be saved and not use what we have or share what we have. We can't. It's not optional. It's an unused or selfish faith is the wide road. That's easy. A faith that changes every part of your life, and I mean every part. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend what how you think, like the, the amount of time you spend thinking about things, what television shows you watch, what books you read, what magazines you read, what websites you are on, what 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 you do with your time at work. Not just like pecking stuff out, like the heart motivation with what you're doing at work. Like all these things. Everything is ruled by God. It changes every part of our life. 
A faith that changes every part of your life. That is so powerful that you just can't hold anything from back, back from God. A faith that compels you to share with others the hope that you have is the narrow road. And it's hard. It's not, that's why not many find it. If we ever get to the point, and if I ever get, and I need you to call me this, if I ever get to the point where I, I kind of act like I've arrived, or I've got everything figured out, you need to check me. Because I can never give enough. I will never arrive in this life. And we say that sometimes, but we don't live like it. So we gotta, we gotta match up. We gotta match those up. One Bible scholar put it this way: he said, the passivity of human figures during the growth process challenges a common reading of these parables. They do not describe an evolutionary process by which Christians build the kingdom. The proverbial sayings warn Christians that faith cannot remain private. We must give away what we have received. This evangelical emphasis counters a common modern tendency to think of religion as a matter of private preference that is best worn lightly in the presence of others. These proverbs and parables suggest that God does not give the gift of faith or secret of the kingdom to individuals as their private possession. Rather, the gift provides light for others and shelter for birds of the field. Solomon in the Proverbs put it this way. In Proverbs 13.4 it says, the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Meaning, the person who pursues the Lord with everything they have will have a full spirit. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, we, we learn from these verses that we ought not only to receive knowledge, but to impart it to others. I think Becky shared earlier and several of you who came out on Monday or Wednesday to go prayer walking, it was like life-giving for us to do that. It cost us something, but it was like life-giving. And I think the reason it is life-giving is this principle. We were designed to give away what we receive. And when we hold on to it, when we hoard it, we think we'd have more, but actually we have less. When we give it away, we position ourselves to receive more, but when we hold on to it, Jesus says in, in Mark 4, that which we are holding on to is taken away. And so we have this, this loss of value and hope and purpose when we try to hang on to everything. Or when we give in to fear and don't share our faith, share about Jesus when we have opportunity. And I'm not saying you have to go out and share with every person you meet on the street who Jesus is. Maybe God calls you to do that, and that's great if that's what you're supposed to do. But we are at least supposed to be giving ourselves away and looking for the opportunities God brings us to share about Christ, to be intentional. When we grow, we get, or when we grow spiritually, we give away. And when we selfishly hoard, we become lean and we die. What is ours is not ours to keep, but to give. This is the destiny of being a disciple of Jesus.
And then Jesus goes on to explain that as we give away what we have, the truth of Jesus is that as, as we, we share about Him being the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's salvation for all who believe, it's like casting seed, He says. You, all you have to do is cast the seed. And then you go and you take a nap, or you sleep, or whatever, and you're not, you're not tending it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and babying it along. He said, you just cast it. And then something miraculous, literally miraculous happens. That seed, without any more effort from you, starts to grow. And then it, it develops. And it matures. Our job is to cast the seed. And when we do our job, God performs the miracle of making it grow. I don't know how that works. It's been one of my struggles over the past five months. I think I've been overthinking it. But like, how does that work, God? And I think what he's been telling me is, I, you can't understand it. And it's okay, John. You don't have to understand it. But you just have to trust it and do it. And the, way, the reason I know it works is because it happened for me. Let me just cast seed. And they didn't do any follow-up. And that seed fell on me, and it grew. Miraculously grew. I, I literally grew up in a church where I never heard the gospel. And that seed grew. I don't know how that works. I, I can't explain that. And I'm not who I need to be or should be or hopefully who, will, who I will be in like five years. But I'm not who I used to be either. And that is not because of me or the person who casts the seed. And Paul references this himself when he says in 1 Corinthians, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Paul was like, like many Christians' hero. Like he is like the preeminent like Christian of Christians, right? And he says himself, "Who am I? I'm nobody. We are only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything." but only God who makes things grow. This is the idea of the kingdom of God. It's the idea that he's referring to here. The kingdom is... is worldly kingdoms are measured by boundaries, right? Like you have like borders and things and, and territories. God's kingdom is measured by people. It's measured by population. His, his kingdom exists here in the United States and it exists in China, and it exists in Mauritania, and it exists in France, and it exists in Peru, and Mexico, and Canada. It, it exists everywhere. And his king, kingdom continues to grow. His kingdom is his rule and reign uh, in this world, and it's expanding as more people submit themselves to him, to his lordship, to his rule and his reign. At this moment, God's kingdom has come into this world, but it has not been fully consummated. It's here with us. It exists everywhere. But one day it will come in full. 
because it's measured by people, because it's, it's growing from something small, it started with Jesus and those first disciples. It started like a mustard seed, but it is growing. And it's growing into the plant of a mustard plant, which is the largest, Jesus says, of all the garden plants. And it provides refuge for others. You notice the, the mustard seed wasn't planted and then grew, Jesus said, in order to just take care of the mustard plant. The mustard plant grew in order to provide refuge for the birds of the field. And it will continue to grow as men and women and children continue to submit their lives to Jesus. Here's the thing. Once our seed sprouts, once we recognize Jesus as Lord of our lives, once we receive His gift of grace, we have responsibility. With the measure we use, the gift of grace, it will be given to us. Anybody ever watch Spider-Man? I, like, I used to love Spider-Man as a kid, right? So, in Spider-Man, um, Uncle Ben sitting in the car, right? And at the beginning of like Spider-Man getting his powers or whatnot, and he looks over and he, he says to Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, his uncle says to him, with great power comes great responsibility. And I've always loved that line because it was like so transferable, right? Like it's such a gospel mentality. Like you have been given amazing levels of undeserved grace and mercy. You've been given gifts that you could never have hoped to to have on your own. You are the most privileged people in all of existence. But with that, Jesus is saying in Mark 4, comes great responsibility. That sprouted seed becomes, as Jesus said, you know, we go and cast seed and then it, it grows up and sprouts. And that little sprout that grows up as that seed falls on the ground and God somehow makes it grow, grows into a fully mature plant. And then that sprout becomes the seed caster. Like it's like this full circle thing. That, that, plant doesn't grow up into maturity and just take care of itself. The whole idea is that it goes on to cast seed itself. Because there's responsibility that comes with being a child of God. We don't make anything grow, but we do have to use what we've been given. There's this story. I went over it with the guys in men's group yesterday. We had a great discussion, I think. Um, uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about this guy named Achan. And when Israel comes into uh, the, the promised land, initially they come to Jericho, and they have to fight this battle of Jericho. And you probably remember it, maybe, maybe you don't, um, but they march once, a day, once, a, once each day for six days around Jericho, and then the seventh day they go out and march around seven times, and after that seventh time they shout, and the walls come down, and the only survivors are like Rahab, who was a prostitute. We're not even going to get into that story, but it's awesome. And her family, right? Um, and God tells Israel, like before this happens, that when you, when this all happens, you take nothing from Jericho, nothing. 
you kill everybody, and we're not going to get into all that, but kill everybody, and all the like possessions go to me. You get nothing. Don't take anything. And so there, they, it all happened as God said. Israel wins the battle. Everybody's dead but Rahab and her family. And Israel goes in, and Achan sees this cloak that is beautiful. He's like, I've never seen anything like that. I'm just, I'm just going to take that for myself. And he says, oh, I see some silver. Oh, and there's a piece of gold. I don't know. God's not going to miss it. He's going to have everything else. So he takes that for himself. And he takes him to his tent, and he buries him in his tent. Nobody knows about it. Israel, fast forward a little bit, goes out for their next battle. And they go to the next battle, and the, the scouts come back and say, this is going to be an easy one. Don't send too many guys. This is like nothing. So they send a few guys. They go to fight, and they get trounced. And several of their men die in this battle that they should have just won easily. And they come back. Men die. And they come back, and Joshua is just like beside himself. What is going on? Like, we just, Jericho, and now this. Like, we shouldn't have won Jericho. We should have won this, but we're not winning this, but we won Jericho. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And God says, here's what happened. Achan took things that he wasn't supposed to take. We didn't tell him Achan, but he said somebody took things they weren't supposed to take. They go through this whole process, find out that it's Achan, and God says, kill him, stone him, burn him, and then take the things that he was supposed to give me and give them to me. And they do all that. And they go back and fight that battle, that army again, and they win this time. The principle with Achan, I think, is the same principle that Jesus is speaking of this morning. We try to keep things that we were never supposed to keep. And when we keep things that we're never supposed to keep, two things happen. You start to die. You don't have the life that you were supposed to have because you're, you're quenching the Holy Spirit by doing something you shouldn't do. And just like in Israel, when they went to fight that second battle and men died, sons died, and husbands died, and fathers died, because of Achan, when you hold on to things that you're not supposed to hold on to, the church kind of dies. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects others. It affects people in this body. It affects the lost who are out there who need to be reached. But don't think for a second that it only will affect you. And don't think for a second that it won't affect you. Achan's a great example of that, and Jesus follows it up in Mark 4, saying the same. Don't think that a lamp should be put under a bed or put under a bowl. It's be put out for all to see. And don't think that if you hold on to the things that I've given you, you're going to get to keep them, because what's going to happen is I'm going to take them away. And death will come to you. Some of us are walking around looking like we're alive, and looking like we're healthy, looking like we're good Christian people, because we do all the right things, but because we're holding on to things that we were never supposed to hold on to, what actually is going on inside of us is death. And here's the thing. God doesn't want that for you. Not because any... He doesn't like it, but He doesn't want it for you because it's not healthy, and He loves you. He wants you to have life. 
He wants you to have hope and peace and joy. And it grieves his spirit to see you holding on to things that you were never supposed to hold on to because you're getting just the opposite of what he wants for you. I don't know this. Only you know this because on the outside it probably looks like everything's fine. But I don't want that for you either. I want us as a church to have life as individuals and life as a body. And I want folks out there to have life too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close today. We've, um, we've been closing like in different ways recently, which I don't know if it's been good or bad. I haven't really heard any feedback. Um, but probably if you, even if you gave me bad feedback, we'd still do this today anyway. So that's probably okay not to. Um, but like pass, I think one thing that we can take away from this is passivity in our faith is never an option. Never an option. Like You cannot be a passive Christian. You just can't do it. And so um, that's the reason why, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, why we now have you come forward to receive the Lord's Supper because it breaks up that passivity in, in the Lord's Supper of just receiving everything, having everything come to you. It kind of gets you up. There's, our spirits are connected to our bodies and our minds. It's all kind of connected, and it, it, it encourages us to be active in our faith. And so this morning, um, what I'm going to have us do is I, I want us to break into small groups again, and we're actually going to pray for each other this morning. And... Um, I know the adults can do it because the youth did it this morning in, in Bible study, and they don't like to pray or whatever. Like, but I, I said, we're not going to be passive in our prayer this morning. Everybody's going to pray, and you're just going to say something simple. If you don't want to say much, it's okay. Just pray something very simple, like, God, thank you for this day. Um, but they all did it, so I know we all can do it. And our kids actually prayed on, when we went out into the community to prayer walking. So I know even the kids do it. Like, so here's what I want to do, especially for our adults and youth. I want us to break down into small groups, and I want us to pray for two things. The first thing I want us to pray for is for one another, um, that we would give up to the things that we're holding on to that are bringing us death right now. And you don't have to pray for anything specific. I'm not asking you to conf- confess your deepest, darkest sin right now, okay? Like, that's not it. If you need to do that, talk to me. Don't, like, do that in your group, because it just might not be appropriate. But, like, but just pray, generally, that you would give that up. And two, we're going to pray that God would, as we gain freedom from our sin, empower us through the Spirit to take our lamps and put them on a stand. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. But somehow, let your light shine so that other people will see it. That's it. Just that. Pray that we will give something up and that God would give us the power through the Spirit to keep our light lamp on a stand. And you don't have to break into twos, but maybe like fives like would be good. And I'm just going to ask you to pray for each other. And I know this is going to push some of us because we're not really comfortable being with people. Like some of you don't even like each like other people. It's not like personal. You just don't like people in general. Like and so like so, but uh, but we have to learn to love each other. We have to like push through that. And some of us are just more introverts and this harder. I get that because I'm one of you. Um, but we're just going to like do that. So like groups of five or six or however it is, but don't get too big. And pray for those two things. Pray that you would give up what you, something you shouldn't be holding on to, and two, that we would put our, our light out on a stand so that other people could see, okay? And it could be really simple prayer. You don't have to make it long-winded, flowery, beautiful, just real simple, even quick and dirty, okay? It's fine, it's fine. Okay, and then we're going to gather back. So we got a group here, maybe like right there, y'all could be a group, and maybe y'all could be a group, 
And by the way, if you're visiting with us today, there's no pressure to pray. No Visitors don't have to pray. Everybody else has to pray, okay? That's the rule. That's the rule. Uh, and how about right here? We'll make you all a group. And then how about like right here a group and then right there a group. That'll work. And I'll join this one. So you guys are 